Hey everyone, we just want to put a disclaimer at the start of this episode that we will be talking about some sexual abuse and mental health issues. So if this isn't the episode for you, if those things are a bit hard for you to listen to at the moment, we understand and we hope to see you in the next one. Thank you. everyone and welcome back to the better watch horror podcast i'm your host patrick and i'm celeste and we just want to share our love of everything horror and true crime well we're definitely not forgetting about the true crime today are we no we're not i have not been able to get that smile off your face all week (laughs) i just true crime really interests me because i like to go into the psychology and the behind the scenes of how someone could just do these acts whereas i'm the total opposite and i hate it because it freaks me out (laughs) <laughs> that people could really, really do this in real life. Like, I can watch a movie because I know it's fake. But if I'm listening to a true... Well, I'd come home and you'd be watching a true, true crime documentary and be like, oh, they were decapitated and left in the sand. And I'd be like, what the... F- what are you <laughs> watching? And you'd just be there with a smile on your face like, eh. Yeah, I just find it really interesting. I don't know why. I'm very out of my element today. <laughs> like, I know there's a movie about who we're talking about today. But for me... After listening to the podcast you sent me about her, then before the recording, watch the documentary. This movie doesn't really tell the truth. Yeah. does not show who she really was. Yeah, it's more just like a creative storytelling of her, I guess. Yeah, and that's probably why I didn't end up enjoying the movie as much as I thought I would. Like, it's a good movie. Yeah, because you wanted it to be, like, the real thing. thing. Yeah, that's what I thought I was getting into, but it's not. No, that's okay. Well, anyway, this week we are talking about Eileen Wernos, who... They like to call America's first female serial killer. And yeah, you are you ready to go? No. <laughs> no. No, I look, I want to be honest with my opinion and I don't really want to offend anyone. I understand what she went through, like at the start of her life, which we'll delve into. But for me, after like hearing everything and how she's like this anti-hero for women and stuff, I get that. And I get what men are capable of and i don't agree with it like i can't watch the news when something like you hear a man has raped a woman and murdered her like makes me sick to my stomach i hate it i hate it so much like the news is depressing i don't watch the news but you don't like that people were basically celebrating her murdering men yes just cause just because like i understand and i understand the things women can go through and even men could go through but I don't feel like celebrating a serial killer. I think she's, I know she is, was mentally unwell. Yeah. And all of these things. But my personal opinion is I don't see her as a hero. I will never see her as a hero. I'll just see her as this crazy serial killer who flip-flopped between her stories. And I think that's why I was getting so annoyed when we were watching the documentary. Because you just wanted to get a straight answer. I, I wanted a straight answer. And I didn't get it. 
And we never will. And we never will, sadly. So without further ado, let's go. All right. So we'll begin just by talking a bit about Eileen and about how she grew up. So she was born in 1956 um, in Michigan and she was born into a very bad home that later she decides to say that it wasn't. It was fine. Um, so her, when she was maybe a couple of months old, her father was convicted of child molestation and was in jail and he hung himself. And then um, I think when she was about four or so, her mother gave up her and her older brother, Keith, and made them live with her parents, so Eileen's grandparents. But they weren't really any better. Her grandfather used to beat them um, and her grandmother was an alcoholic. And so she, growing up, she started, I don't know how to say this, like selling herself and selling her body for things in exchange. So being a sex worker. Yeah, so... The like on the stand at one of her trials, one of the boys she used to grow up with said that at nine years old she would give blowjobs for cigarettes. That's that's fucked up. At nine. That's crazy. Like it's just so sad. And then at fourteen she actually got pregnant and no one really knows who the father of the baby is. Some people like to think that it's one of her grandfather's friends that sort of abused her, got her pregnant. But after she had the baby, she was forced to give it up for adoption and then her grandparents kicked her out of home. So she lived in the woods for years and years and years. Then she decided that she would have to hitchhike her way around to to get away, I guess. So that's where she started being a a hooker that she likes to call herself that. She was hitching and hooking. Yeah, and the movie that cross-references this is Monster that was released in 2003. It's directed by Patty Jenkins and it stars Charlie's Theron and Christina Ricci. Ricky? Rich- Ricky. Ricky. Sorry. <laughs> I keep getting that wrong. <laughs> and basically Eileen sent Patty hundreds of letters that she had written so that Patty could get an insight into who Eileen was for this movie. And the funny thing was that Eileen wasn't really and it was a very uncooperative person in real life, which we did see. And like the movie didn't really get into this. Like, it starts off with a quote from Eileen and a short montage briefly showing us what her upbringing was like and where she is now. Like, it kind of just cuts to where she meets her lover. Tyra. Tyra. I keep butchering <laughs> words and names. <laughs> just bear with me. I'm still out of my element. And, I, like, you saw me when we were watching that documentary. I was getting so annoyed. Yeah. So, the thing is, Tyra is not in this movie. She She refused to have her name or anything to be a part of this movie. So when we talk about Tyra in the movie, her name is Selby. Yeah, so it it confused me a little bit because after Eileen's first arrest, Tyra and, like, the cops and, like, anyone would sell their story to the media, trying to sell them to producers and stuff to make movies but then now it was a few years after Eileen had passed away I think when the movie was made when was the movie made 2003 so it was a year after it was a year after which is the same year the documentary came out that we watched yeah so a year after Eileen's death and now Tyra doesn't want to have her name to it yeah that just makes no sense to me makes no sense at all like now you have a heart not do it so basically where we start off with this movie like i like i liked i liked how they did this like it starts off we see eileen underneath the bypass she's not looking too good so this is because i did hear like she was this good looking woman and then the alcohol abuse aged her 
rapidly and she wasn't looking too good and looking at photos of Eileen and how Charlize Theron looked in this movie it's so identical yeah they did well with the makeup and (laughs) special effects and this is like also where we see Selby for the first time and she's drinking heavily at the bar she's got a cast on her arm I don't know how accurate that was probably not very by the way this movie goes no not very and we'll explain why (laughs) and when Eileen gets into the bar she loses a shit at Selby because she tries to stop her from leaving because she just wants someone to talk to and she gets called a homophobic slur and then she Eileen doesn't leave and they both end up getting drunk together and she goes back to Selby's and because Selby was this Catholic she was raised in a Catholic family like hardcore Catholics like over in the states i know a few families are very hardcore hardcore when it comes to religion and stuff like that so when donna the woman's place where selby is staying at comes in and sees eileen in there she's not a fan and she calls eileen a stripper because she's like that's what she looks like (laughs) and we find out that Selby's there because there was a rumor made up that she was at the church choir and she tried to make out with another girl. So she's been sent away by her father. Yeah. To come to Donna's place to set herself straight. Also, mind you, this is like the mid to late 80s when this is all happening. So it's not really that long ago. No. Like 40 years ago. Yeah, 40 at least. So, I mean, like, look how far the world has come where now people are being more appreciated and they're not being... I'm all for it. Yeah. Be who you are. Like, yeah. Be who you are. But, I mean, like, you know, only 40 years ago people were being attacked for loving who they love. The shit thing is people are still getting attacked today. Yeah. For being who they are. And I'm like, fuck But that. it's more accepted now. It's way Thank more God. accepted. Oh, like, be who you are. I'm 100%. Be who you are. I don't care if you're a he, him, she, her, they, them. Be who you are. Be the person you want to be. Be who with you want to be. Honestly. With. Fuck what other people think. <laughs> I know I swear a lot in these podcasts and I get told off by your mother and my <laughs> mother. But fuck what people think. If they want to fucking hate you for being who you are, your sexuality, if you want to be a girl, you want to be a boy. They're not worth your time. They're not worth your time. No one's worth all that, like, suffering and... Hatred. Hatred and making that person feel like they don't belong in this world because everyone belongs. Yeah. Everyone gets a life for a reason. And everyone deserves to be happy. Everyone deserves to be happy. I'm 100%. Be who you want to be. Yeah. It's basically why we started this. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, little rant over. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they kind of begin this little love affair. And Selby is then, you know, her dad's found her a job working with him at his law firm. So she has to go away. But Eileen's found this love and friendship in Selby and doesn't want her to leave. And says, look, if you give me one week just one week with me we're gonna have the best time ever after that you can leave if you want but I just want to spend this one week with you so after doing some sex work she got some money so that they could get a motel for a week so Selby goes you know what let's do it so they go to this motel for the week and yeah have the best time ever and Selby decides that she's not going to go back to her father's so while Eileen's out she's trying to find a job because she's fallen in love 
with Selby and she wants to support her. And Selby can't work at the moment because of the cast on her arm. She can't do much. So Eileen's like, no, I'm going to go straight. I'm going to stop hooking. I'm going to get a real job to support you and we're going to find a place together. She stops hooking, hookering, whatever the word is, after, is it Richard Malloy who's the first victim who's the first victim the first victim in real life is richard malloy yeah okay this is where i start to get pissed off about this story because in the movie i felt this was before i watched the documentary and before everything we watched the movie as richard malloy picks her up and he explains to her how he hates hookers he has a love-hate relationship with sex workers and he starts yelling at her for oral sex and she goes oh it's 10 bucks extra and he goes like he's having an argument with her and bottles her yeah and then this is where eileen wakes up tied to the steering wheel of the car and her well, lower half's hanging out of the, the lower half's seat. hanging out like underwear pants off like this dude's got sick intentions and i i'm watching the movie like Oh shit! Yeah, no, I feel like I feel bad for Eileen. Like this is this is messed up. I no, like this is I'm like I'm finding it hard to watch this, and it's really really rough. He pours rubbing alcohol on her, like on her face where she's got her cut from yeah. him hitting her with a bottle. Yeah, and then he sticks a pole up her, well, up in her. Yeah, I don't really want to get too graphic about it. He assaults her. Yeah. And she escapes. Yeah. She manages to get herself untied from the rope. And she grabs a pistol out of her bag and shoots him six times. So I'm like, at this point, I'm like, okay, I feel bad for her. Cut to the documentary. She goes on the same story about how it was self-defense and all this other shit. And I'm like, okay. I still feel bad for her. But then she says, no, it wasn't self-defense. I just wanted the money. (laughs) I just wanted the money. I just wanted to kill him. And I, before that courtroom, I was making up the story as I was sitting there. And I'm going, what? But then again, we don't know if that was true or not. We don't know if that was true or not because then she backflips on that and says, no, it was self-defense. Yeah. And this is where, like, it just frustrates me because I like getting straight answers. And you like to have a solved answer. I like to have a solved answer. I don't get that with Eileen. Yeah. And so I'm like, do I feel bad for her? Do I not? Like, what is the truth? Because half the people say it was self-defense. Other half says it wasn't. I just, I don't know what to feel. Yeah. I'm kind of the same. Like, I get really uneasy listening to stories about unsolved crimes because I just, I needed definitive answer on what's happened so that I can feel easy. But yeah, after really researching this case and finding out that I'm never going to know if it was in self-defense and if they were abusing her and beating her and all that sort of stuff, or if she just did it because she just wanted the money and to take all their money and all their possessions like that annoys me a bit yeah but in the same breath i understand that with all her mental health issues i don't think she even knew herself why she did it she could have had just a psychotic break and she just didn't really realize that that's what was happening and it you know you hear about sometimes people just kind of go blind and kind of black out in rage yeah and they do something and then they come back to when they didn't realize what they've done yeah it could have been that it could have been that because they're like the way the movie pictured it, it when she killed her second victim, which look, when we started, kind of laughed because the dude's like, oh, I like to be called daddy. And 
Eileen's response was, "Why do you like to fuck your kids?" Which was uh, that was that was funny. But I wasn't ready to hear that in the movie. No, no, I wasn't even ready to hear that. I was just, I was like, "Oh, that's a bit off topic. That's a bit off center." Like, what the, what's happened here? And then when he's taking his pants off, she kind of like has like this PTSD moment, and she's like in there, and she's just staring out the window and then turns to shoot him and I'm like okay I understand why but then again if it's not true because it's Eileen's side of the story and we know what she's like how she likes to backflip on her stories did she really do that or was it again I just want to kill him because I need the money I need the car yeah who knows so yeah basically yeah in the movie you know they've they've managed to get enough money to get an apartment together but Selby's still not working and Eileen is trying to find a job but in the meantime she keeps going out finding these Johns or clients to get money so that they can pay their bills because Selby has now gotten bored of being home by herself with Eileen going out looking for work every day and she's going out drinking and like spending all their money on useless stuff and um so yeah Eileen just has to keep doing it so in real life Eileen actually killed seven men and this was all in the span of a year and they were all found um on the florida what was it called the florida i-75 by police and yeah all within a year that's a lot of people in one year that is a lot of people in one year it's just crazy like i I, as again i say i don't know how to feel I, i really don't know how to feel about all of this yeah so if we go back to the movie with both the first with the first one she doesn't tell selby what happened at the start and then when selby finds the car she's like oh okay i killed him like that's a dead man's car but when she does the second one she won't tell selby again and this is where she comes back into the motel and she's cleaning herself off and we thought it was like this rash because she's talking about how she used to be abused in her life and we're like oh okay it's a rash but then we look closer and i was like no it's blood it's just dried blood it's dried blood from uh the person that she had just killed and this is at the point where selby and eileen move into their new place and then we get a scene where they're at a restaurant and they start smoking inside the manager comes up and is like okay sorry ladies you can't smoke in here and eileen pushes him over and like what do you mean what is this like just makes an absolute scene yeah and then she goes back and this is where i don't know if she killed her third victim because she's like talking to him but he doesn't say a word and then she feels like he's going to abuse her and he stutters and he goes i've never done anything like this before like yeah i think she just lets him go yeah because she realizes that he's not gonna hurt her because he's yeah never because she still performs a sex act on him yeah but I don't think I don't think she killed him. We well, again we don't know because she used again as I'm saying and I keep repeating myself because she used to backflip so much on her stories. You never know what's the truth and what's not true. But also I feel like the movie isn't a tr- like biographical. I think it's just a Which creative story. Which annoys me because I got told that this was a great storytelling of who Eileen was and what her story was from her first kill up until her death. But. At the start of the movie, it does say based on a true story. Yeah. Not is the true story. No, I don't know. As I said, I don't know. <laughs> and But I know this is true because the podcast you sent me, Serial Killers, which I recommend to anyone, like ever since she showed me that podcast, I listened to them. 
and I also listen because it's a company that does all these podcasts. Yeah, it's called Parcast. Um, I listen to their serial killers and I also listen to their medical murders because that intrigues me. Yeah. I don't know what you've done to me <laughs> because it still terrifies me. Like I'll be in the car driving to work, listening to what what's happening, and I'm like, what? How? <laughs> how does someone, like, have the will to do this? Like, how in their right mind they're like, okay, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to go kill someone. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. <laughs> like, yeah, I play GTA and I go, oh, look, random person on the street. Bang. But that's a video game. I'm not going to go. <laughs> in real life. <laughs> in real life and go do that. Like, I'm a sane person. It just blows my mind that people can do things like this and it terrifies me yeah it really does and like as i said you keep hearing it on the news that's why i had to stop watching the news because because i'm already an anxious person hearing about all these depressing things doesn't help doesn't help at all yeah so that's why i feel like i kind of steered away from true crime and i'll watch movies like saw and friday and scream because i know it's fake yeah. And I can just sit there and enjoy it. And then once you finish watching it, you can go about your life because you know it was just a story. Yeah. And it's why I love horror because having anxiety and like being the to myself person I am and not, it's weird because I got made fun of it by a mate of mine. They were like, you don't talk too much in person. How the hell are you going to do a podcast <laughs> where you have to talk so much? I was like, yeah, it's a bit crazy that I'm choosing to do this. But when you're talking about something you love, you get really into it. Yeah, I could talk to you for hours hmm. about a horror movie and who's in it and what happens at certain times. I can quote the shit out of it because I, that's it helps me. Like, I get into a horror movie and I don't have to worry about what's going on in life. I just worry about trying not to get shit scared <laughs> about something. And at the end of the day, like, it helped me get over a fear. Like, I used to be a massive... Well, I, I still don't like spiders. <laughs> I still don't. But I'm a lot better now to the point where I got to watch Eight-Legged Freaks. And you were fine. And I was fine. <laughs> I found it hilarious. It was one of the most stupidest B-grade movies that I've ever watched, but I loved it. Loved every minute of it. I keep going off on topic and I apologize, <laughs> but like watching this, it just brought up so much about why I started doing this. Yeah. And why I got into this. But yes, I was also getting annoyed because I want a straight answer and I don't get it. And I feel like no matter what the true crime is, because we would definitely be doing more true crime episodes. I kind of want to do one a month. I'm never going to get a straight answer. Sometimes you do. Oh, okay, cool. So I'll, I'll, your- I'll, th- I'll let you know now. Sometimes they just tell you straight up. Okay. Cool. That's why we will never cover the JonBenet Ramsey case because that frustrates me because we will never know. (laughs) Oh, well. Or we might if I feel like I want to make myself anxious. If enough people (laughs) want to. Yeah, let me know. Hear me more anxious (laughs) and annoyed at shit. More than happy to. All right. Well, we'll get back to Eileen and her life of horror. Yes. Yes, please. (laughs) You you talk. Um, I need to think about shit. Okay. So we'll go back to real life, Eileen. So it's said that Tyra didn't know what was going on. And she was just unaware to everything. But then, yeah, it came out later that she possibly did know. Um, And so in the movie... um, It does show that. It does show it in the movie. But Selby denies it and says she only knew about the first murder. She didn't know about all the other ones. Yeah. So in the movie, Selby's back at their apartment and she's watching the TV and their sketches pop up on the screen. And so then she's scared that... 
something bad's going to happen. And so basically Eileen tells her to go live with her family and she'll work everything out. So in real life, it was actually Tyra that knew something was going to happen and she just up and left and lived with her family in Pennsylvania. And then Eileen was arrested. I feel like this is the only part of the movie I really like because I know it really happened. So in order for the media to get these sketches, Selby and Eileen were drunk in a car, driving it and crashed. And a lady was like, oh, do you need help? Like, I can help you out. I'll call the police. And Eileen's not, no, we don't need police. La la la, all that other bullshit. And starts the car again, drives off. 100 yards down the road, it breaks down and they bolt from it. That happened in real life. Yeah. I know that happened in real life. So that's what I like. <laughs> I, like. I know this really happened. Yeah. And that's how the police get the sketches because the woman tells them about what happened and then the media get the sketches and then Selby in the movie freaks out. Yeah. So back to real life. So after Eileen is arrested... Or it could have been before. It doesn't really show us in this documentary that we did watch. But it's it's really sad. So Tyra calls up Eileen and is saying like, you know, they're talking to my family. They're talking to my sister. Like, you need to come clean. Like, I don't want to get arrested for something that you did. And was kind of like baiting her into admitting to what she's done. And Eileen didn't realize this. And she says, look, it'll all be fine. Like, if I have to confess, I'll, I'll do it so that you're fine. And um, in the movie, it pans out to all these police officers recording the call. And they were taping the call while Selby was on the phone to Eileen to trap her, which makes me really sad because Eileen trusted Tyra slash Selby and she was betrayed by her. That's where I feel bad for Eileen because all the people that were close to her betrayed her. Yeah, like even when she was younger, she was made to be looked after by her grandparents who should have loved her and respected her, but they didn't. They treated her like shit. Like with my comments at the start, how I'll I'll never agree with Eileen being this anti-hero. I never meant like... I never felt bad for her. Like, I felt really bad for her. Yeah, she's been through some shit. Like, she's been through heaps of shit, like, that I wish doesn't happen to anyone else in this world. Like, it's really, really crazy. And, it like, hearing about it, you just sit in shock. And I almost wanted to tear up a little bit, honestly, because I'm like, this, like, I kind of understand why she went down this path. But she didn't have to. She didn't have to, But yeah. her life made her go down this track. Yeah, but... You know, some other people go through things like these and they decide to go the other way and say, I don't want to be anything like them. I'm going to do whatever I can to not end up like that. Yeah. So. It just takes a different type of person, I think. Yeah. So when she gets caught in the movie, in the bar that she used to regularly go with, did she go with Tyra to this bar? Because I don't. You don't hear about it. You don't really much. hear about it because they meet at a bar but it's not, the bar she gets caught at is not the same one. I can't remember the name of the bar, but I know the bar that they caught her at was the one she regularly visited. And the two detectives undercover were like drums and sticks or something. I have no idea. I didn't they know had their names code were. names. I got a little bit fanboyish in the movie because we turned to one of the detective cops and it's fucking Kane Hodder, <laughs> who I love. He's my favourite Jason, which is funny because he's not in, he's not Jason until 
Manhattan, I think. Yeah, one of the later ones. Yeah, and he does the four last ones. He does seven, eight, nine, and ten. And he's my favorite Jason. Like, he's one of my favorite actors. I know he did Ed Gein in a movie. He's also Victor Crowley in the Hatchet series, which I don't mind. I just, like, I'm a massive Kane Hodder fan. Massive. So when I saw him, well, I kind of ruined it for myself because when I go on IMDb to look at... The cast for the, the movie. Not even the cast, like, all the trivia. Oh, so I yeah, can, yeah, yeah. Like, so I can enlighten people, like, this is what happened behind the scenes. I was scrolling down and they're like, one of the direct... the undercover police officers that catches Eileen near the end of the movie is Kane Hodder and he's most famous for being Jason in these and I was like fuck yes so yeah when it popped up you were like oh my god yeah massive fanboy moment (laughs) I love Kane Hodder like hands down my favourite Jason hands down don't care and it's funny because he's the most well known one and he's in the last ones he's in the last ones (laughs) which are not the greatest movies but I still love them I love them anyway Back to Eileen and her story. She was in prison when Tyra betrayed her and she was on the phone to police, wasn't she? I'm not sure. Oh, it never well, says in it. In the movie, she was in prison. Yeah, but in real life, it doesn't show. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So this is... We cut to while she's in the courtroom in the movie and Selby... Like, I know movie drama, they make them look at each other. But I don't think they looked at each other in real life. I think Tyra was trying not to look at her. And I know Eileen was like hands in front of her face, just down. Yeah. Like could not look at her. Yeah. But in the movie, they look at each other because, you know, got Add tension. (laughs) Add tension to the movie. And it's just to see her, like, what did she have? Four death penalties or something Uh, like that? I it ended up being six. Six. So that's why she was there for 12 years on death row. Well, all right. So she, she first had one trial that was just for Richard Mallory's mur- um, murder. And the jury only deliberated for two hours, which yeah. is like so quick. And it was 12 to zero for her vote. Um, and yeah, she got the death penalty. Um, so... The death penalty actually... So, it was a thing, obviously. And then I think in about 76 or, like, in the early 70s, it was banned. And then, yeah, later in the 70s, it was brought back for some reason. I don't know. It makes no sense. It doesn't. It really doesn't. Yeah. So, basically, yeah, she was sentenced to the death penalty. I see in your notes it was the electric chair at first. Yeah. But she didn't get killed and well she didn't die until 2002 and she was lethal injection lethal injected so because the first sentence was in 1992 that was the electric chair but then after that she was then had her second trial for the other like five more murders and then that's when it changed to lethal injection by then so she was actually on death row all up for 12 years that's That's, a long time yeah that's a really so you understand by why the end of it she was like sign the warrant i want to die yeah i just want to get it over with like yeah 100 percent. like who wouldn't want to die after that so yeah during um like the first trial and things like that she was always protecting tyra and she said like you know she had nothing to do with it it was all me and all that and um it was kind of sad so after the verdict of the first 
trial um, for Richard Mallory's murder, um, when she's being taken away by the police, she yelled at the jury and she was like, I was raped. I hope you all get raped, scumbags of America. Yeah, I hope all your kids get raped in the ass or something. Something stupid. Like, it was in the documentary that we Well, that was in the second trial. She said that. She said that in the second trial. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm kind of like, I'm still, like, my mind's still racing as we talk about this. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, we watched this documentary made by Nick Broomfield. Which um, I recommend to anyone who... It was who, so good. Like, it's so eye-opening. Yeah. I like, wanna... if we didn't watch the documentary, we probably would have been wrong about a lot of things. Yeah. So, I'm kind of glad that we did watch it. So, yeah. So, he actually made two documentaries. So, the first one was The Selling of a Serial Killer, and he made that in 1992 after the first trial. And then he came back for the second one. Um, called Life and Death of a Serial Killer as like a follow-up. And, yeah, so it shows footage of when she first gets arrested um, and the timestamp on the tape says the 16th of January 1991. Um, so she was arrested and she was confessing to the murders to the police and she says I wish to God I was never a hooker and she's like I will still say it was in self-defense this is when she's talking to Nick she said I'll always say it was in self-defense um she's like they would beat me they would rape me or be rough so she was just saying like one of the like this was in self-defense because they would do this to me not necessarily that they were going to be abusing her but if they were a bit rough or things like that or threatening her that's why she did it yeah and this blew my mind like this was crazy it's not about eileen it's about the police and you find out that they were getting money to sell the story of eileen and all the tapes and all the recorded phone calls like they wanted to get Hollywood money. And it came to a point where Major Dan Henry, the chief of staff, resigned because there was an investigation into his conduct regarding tape phone calls between himself and a uh, deputy Munster. And it was all regarding Eileen's case. And if they had found out that the police officers were selling information. tapes, information to Hollywood, they could have overturned all of Eileen's death sentences and she would have been released. Like, that's fucking... But like, they never finished the investigation. No, they never once, did. Once he they quit and resigned, up. they just stopped it immediately. Let's put a blanket over it. And, that one's done. Yeah. And also, this is, like, really sad as well. So, Ted Bundy. Everyone knows Ted Bundy. Even I know Ted Bundy. We're going to cover it. But he was offered life in prison, but he chose not to and chose to be executed. There's a movie about Ted Bundy, isn't There's there? There's a few. There's a few. But Eileen wasn't offered life in prison. Why? He killed a lot more people. Yeah, that makes no sense. So a man gets offered life in prison instead of being executed, but she never gets offered anything. She just gets told, nope, you're going to be executed by the chair. I could be wrong on this because, I'm, as I said, I'm not the true crime expert. I'm the Mm -hmm. horror movie expert on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not really expert. I'm just the bigger fan of Mm. horror. Wasn't Ted Bundy, he used to, like... subdue women because he was good looking he mm-hmm. was a handsome man and mm-hmm. then he would kill him mm-hmm. okay so i am right with that yes i like i only really heard about it because i know zach efron played him in a movie yeah and everyone was like mad about mad it mad about like, why are you sexualizing ted bundy like that's wrong but that's what he was yeah he was really a handsome dude and well not real like he was an average looking guy but he had the charm he had the charm. He had the talk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, as you said, I, that makes no sense. Like you'd think he'd get, but was, 
Is it in a different state? No, it was all in Florida. Ted Bundy? Yeah. Ted Bundy was in Florida as well? Yeah. Okay, yeah, now that makes no <laughs> sense. Like, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. Um, and so, like, this this documentary guy, Nick Broomfield, like, he is great. Hats off. Hats Amazing. off to him. Like, I want to watch more. If he's got more serial killer documentaries, I want to watch more. Yeah. So, he's kind of... He just wants to be there for Eileen and be the person that helps her get her story out. And... You know, he's going through the document, like at the start of this documentary, talking about uh, briefly about what happened in the first one and what's happened in that time since. And then he actually gets subpoenaed to be a witness, uh, not even subpoenaed to be a witness. He was subpoenaed to be there for her execution. Yeah. So one of her friends in a way but gets told by the government, you have to come watch your friend die. Fucked up. That's fucked up. Yeah. It was, it was funny though, because... <laughs> In the first movie, you find out Eileen had a first attorney and... You don't really hear much about him. No. Well, at the first... Oh, in the, doc- the first in documentary. In the documentary, you hear about him. I don't... I think he was more relevant in the first documentary because he was her attorney at the time. But why would you trust someone that goes on a ad and be like, if you call 1-800-DOCTOR-LEGAL or illegal, whatever his name was, like, I'll be your attorney. Because she couldn't afford it. Yeah, true. Okay. She, she didn't have anyone, so yeah. she didn't have family that could pay her because <laughs> family didn't care. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because when Nick goes up to him to shake his hand and be like a reasonable dude what was his name steve his real name was steve steve goes fuck you like just says fuck you yeah for like the way you he was drove, portrayed in that first you drove me out of town i lost my job fuck you nick and i was like how can he be so salty about it and then you find out why yeah so in her first trial, he does not do anything to help her. He tells her to plead guilty to the charge of murder. Because he thought she'd get off. And then she ended up getting three more death sentences. Well, that was in the second trial anyway. Oh, that was in the second one. Sorry. I keep jumping <laughs> ship. Okay. I, like, I'm not going to lie. When we were watching the documentary, I zoned out because I was just mentally, I was done. Yeah. I was mentally done about learning about Eileen. And I, like, as I said, I never understand. Well, with what happened to her, I kind of understand, but I'm never understand still at the same time like i just don't get it okay so yeah in her first trial him being her attorney he just tells her to plead guilty and he doesn't do any investigation into any of what she's telling him like you need to investigate the police like something's gone on here you need to investigate them and he's like nah so yeah she gets the death sentence straight away so then in this second documentary she has another attorney and he's been trying to get her a new trial because he wanted to say that she got an unfair trial the first time because her attorney was shit and didn't help her out. Well, the attorney was shit. Yeah. He was very shit. Like, he openly expressed that the car trip to the prison where Eileen was was a seven-joint journey. And I remember because the second attorney she had was trying to blame Nick. He's like, you edited the documentary you did and, like, when oh, no, he smoked... Oh, no, that wasn't Eileen's attorney. Wasn't it? No, that was just, like... Because you know how there's, like, two sides yeah, of a defense? Thought... It was the other guy. Oh. Like, for Steve. Oh, it was for Steve. Yeah, to, so he was trying to say, like, with this proof of him smoking a joint or saying this, Nick, as the documentary creator, you have edited this and cut this to make it look bad. 
Yeah, and he's like, because he's smoking the joint in a blue shirt, but when you get to the prison, he's in a white shirt, and Nick's going, well, he must have changed shirts. I don't remember, but I do remember him smoking all those joints. Yeah, and I will find the footage if you need me to find the footage, and he does, and yeah, he literally changes his shirt so that by the time he gets to the prison, he doesn't smell like weed. Yeah. Like, come on. And then this is where in the documentary she goes, nothing was self-defence. I killed him because I just wanted to. Yeah, so basically because her execution date is sort of coming up, she basically says, I don't want to be executed living a lie. I want to tell the truth. And, yeah, she volunteered to be executed as well after the second trial because she just was done. Yeah, so we're up to where she's preparing for execution. So, yeah, it's like a week before Yeah. or a couple of days before. And, yeah, she says that she's been getting all her tears out so that she's tough on the day and she's not going to be crying in the chamber. And um, she says that if her life was different, if she had different parents, grew up differently, she would have gone on to do all these different things. She would have been like an archaeologist, like all these things. And that just makes me feel sad that she never got the opportunity to do something better with her life. Yeah, like she could have done so much better, but I understand like, again, what happened with her. She had a real rough time and like led her to a path of being a criminal. Yeah. And then, yeah, by the end of it, she's like, I just, if I could, I'd be executed right now. I just want it to be over with. And so she has one last interview with Nick the day before. And she says like, I'm not going to tell you anything whatever questions you ask me I'll answer but if it's anything to do with the murders I'm gonna cut this interview and that's it and she loses it she loses it she goes on a full like paranoid rampage rambling about like the police so basically she says that they knew that she killed Richard Mallory like she was like I was messy I left my fingerprints everywhere they covered it up so because they covered it up and they knew about her they essentially enabled her to kill the other six men. Yeah, and then she says, like, the only reason she got caught was because of the media coverage On the that murder. she got. So they were like, oh, we need to catch someone now. We need to go arrest her. This is, again, where it annoys me because, like, she's just confessed to everything and then, again, backflips onto... It's not my fault. It's the justice system. It's the media. Like, they portrayed me to be this serial killer, which I'm not this serial killer. They made me kill all these people. They've got stuff in the mirrors and everything that, like, are messing with my mind. Yeah. Like... So this is where you can tell that she's cracked. Yeah, she's completely done. Yeah. And... You know, even before she was executed, like I think it was like a couple of days before she was executed, they did another psychiatric and psychological test. And the guy only sat with her for 15 minutes this last time and said that she was fine. How? So Nick, he was like, I don't know how she sailed through that test because what do you have to do to fail that test? Because Eileen is not sane. She's not. And yeah, so all all throughout the other trials and things like that, she was tested and it all came back that she was fine. No one found anything wrong with her. But we can visually we can see visually that see she's lost her wrong. mind. And even Nick Broomfield in the documentary goes, she's lost her touch with reality. Like she doesn't know what's real and what's not anymore. Yeah. Like she's completely insane. And I do not know why they have, that's where I think that's corrupt. It's got to be a little bit of corruption in there. Yeah. They're just like, well, we, we just want to, like, let's just fucking get rid off of her. her. Let's just kill her. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, no, she's fine. But visually, she's not. Yeah. That's the thing. I feel bad for Eileen. I really, really, really do. Because I mean, if someone did do the right thing and test her properly and it did come back that she had issues, she would have gone into an institution and she would have got the help that she needed and she might have been able to go back out into society. Maybe, but no. They just decide to be assholes. Like, again, I will never justify the things that she did. Never. Yeah. But I still feel bad for her. Yeah. So she was... Executed on October 9th, 2002 by lethal injection, as we've said. Um, Her last statement, um, she said, I'd just like to say I'm sailing with The Rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. Like the movie Big Mothership and All, I'll be back. Um, And so she was pronounced dead at 9.47am. She was the 10th woman in the whole of the USA since 1976 to be executed and the second in the state of Florida. Jesus Christ. And um, so in my research, it was saying that like her last meal was just a cup of coffee. But in the documentary, she has this childhood friend, Dawn, um, who pops in and out. And she said that the prison's given her a budget of $20 and Eileen wants to have fried chicken and french fries. And Dawn went, went and had a last meal with her. Yeah. Yeah. And so then also before you get executed, you have a priest come to you that if you want to confess all your sins, you can tell him. But she kicked him out and said, I don't want to talk to you. And apparently she just prayed by herself for the victims. And then, yeah, after it was all done with, she was cremated um, with her Bible um, and then her ashes got scattered on her family's farm. And that's the story of Eileen Wernos. Yeah. Really interesting, but sad story at the same time. Okay. Yeah, I'm just... Honestly, I'm mentally, like, drained. It's a lot. I don't know how you do this. I've been doing it for a while. Yeah. Like, when we was when I was listening to that Serial Killers podcast and near the end, they're like, again, I'm going back on to how now she's an anti-hero for people, which I understand now more. Like, like some... You, people can have her, their opinions on her. Yeah. But my opinion is I don't see her as a hero. I yeah. do not. Like... When I was researching, like, how is she an anti-hero now? It came up that Cardi B, for her single press, it said in the article on Vice, that was the website I went to, it said it was the cover art of her, of her single press. Then I looked at the cover art, I'm like, it's not that. What else could it be? And then found out it's the promo is her with the handcuffs to her throat like Eileen Wernos was. Yeah, there's a picture of her in jail. With yeah, that. which I can't lie. The song's pretty catchy. Like, I was jamming to it a bit <laughs> when I was... Like, because I thought, okay, maybe it's in the music video. It's not in the music video. And then where is the reference to Eileen? Yeah. Oh, it's in the promo that she did. Yeah. Also, I think I kind of understand why people could find her a hero. So, for the people that think that she did it in self-defense, I think that it could be a way of the people that have had those things happen to them could be like she is my hero because she defended herself against someone doing bad things to her. I wish I could do that. Yeah. I wish I could hurt the people that hurt me. Yeah. That I get that. I get that too. I really like I really really do. And as I said before, I never ever 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 justify. Obviously, we don't condone no murder. No. I don't condone murder. I don't condone sexual assault. 
Like, fuck that. You hear about it and you're like, how? Like, I believe here in Australia, when it comes to sexual assault, especially men with women, it's soft. It's disgusting. It is disgusting when it's true. Because I know a lot of people can get falsely accused. Yeah, but there was that one case a few years ago where that um, oh, young woman, yeah, she was running late at night through a park near her house and a guy who was supposed to be in jail, but he was out on bail for the same sort of thing, killed her. Yeah, and then... So think how he, does that make sense? I think he just got a slap on the wrist. No, nah, he was like actually arrested then. Okay. Yeah, Thank but God. I know there's a lot of people... They're like, it really happens to them. Yeah. And they just go, all right, slap on the wrist. You get a warning. Don't Just don't do it again. Just don't do it again. And then they go and do the same thing. Mm. Never. No. Nah. Like, I'll never justify. But, yeah, as I said, I wanted to get my opinion across. And I was nervous about getting my opinion across because I didn't want to offend anyone. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm done talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I said, I'm <laughs> mentally drained. It's I, a lot for someone getting into true crime. Yeah. I wish we started off with something a bit more simpler. But There is no simple true crime. <laughs> no. No. I've learned that by listening to those podcasts. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm excited to learn more, but now I know I have to mentally prepare myself. But I'm glad next week we're going back to Ozploitation, honestly. I don't know what movie yet. Um... We'll figure that out. But yeah, that's it from us. You can follow us at Better Watch Horror Pod on Instagram. Yep, and official BWH Pod on Twitter. And we have an, our email address, betterwatchhorrorpod at gmail.com for anything you want to say. Yeah. Any feedback, any requests. Honestly, tell us your opinions on Eileen. Yeah. I'm more than happy to talk to anyone about it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I again, I didn't want to offend anyone. Like, I really, really didn't. And I sincerely apologize if I did. I don't think you did. I think you're fine, sweetie. But I just, as I said, I wanted to get my point across. Yeah. All righty. All right. Hope, you, hope to see you next week. This has been the Better Watch Horror Podcast. Bye. Bye.